I think it's important to note that uh, fundamentals are also very strong. We've got a, a growing economy, uh, jobs, income. My administration has a job to do as well. And that job is to get this economy back on its feet. First of all, I don't, I don't see America having problems. 25 years ago, I got ripped off with some whole life The only type of life insurance that you should have, in my opinion, is term insurance. Welcome to Infinite Banking Radio. In three short years, our financial system has turned upside down, but we still hear the same rhetoric and are pushed into the same strategies. The Infinite Banking Concept is a proven system that will transform your financial future. Now here's your host, Patrick Donahoe. Good morning, everybody. Thank you. Uh, thank you for downloading this uh, this month's podcast. Wow, we have a... Uh, a great way to start the new year. Hopefully you guys had a, a good January. Hope you enjoyed uh, this, the Super Bowl, and hope you guys are off to a, a good start for 2012. Uh, there's no better way to, to start with uh, the Infinite Banking podcast other than having a great, great guest. And so today we're joined by Tom Dyson of the Palm Beach Letter. Tom, how you doing? Hi, Patrick. I'm doing very well, thank you. Awesome. Tom, it's it's great to have you on. But before we before we get into uh, what Tom does and a little bit about the Palm Beach Letter, um, please keep uh, keep keep up to date with our website. We have a new website that's coming out. We created a, a a crash course on the infinite banking concept. It's absolutely free and will be out in the next uh, next couple of weeks. Also, uh, we'll be more proactive with our newsletter and have a lot of good content on there. So make sure that you subscribe subscribe to that. You can do that by going to www.paradigmlife. Net. So last month we had uh, an awesome, awesome guest. As uh, he was a rich, rich dad advisor and has been uh, been in real estate for a number of years. Ken McElroy, uh, please be sure to go back and listen to that that great podcast. It was a great way to end 2011. But today, like I said, there's no better way to start 2012 with a very intelligent uh, individual that's in the uh, financial newsletter industry and has been for quite some time. But Tom, I'm going to let you give our listener base uh, some of your some of your background and how you got into financial services and how you uh, came to be doing what you're doing right now. Sure, Patrick. Well, uh, I, I got into this when I was very young. I I, uh, I never had a problem knowing what I was going to do when I was going to grow up. I always wanted to be uh, a, a stock trader and an investor. And I I think I bought my first stock when I was 11 years old, a company called Eurotunnel, which, which built the tunnel between England and France. And uh, it did really well, so I, it got, I got hooked. And then it went bankrupt, but luckily it already sold. So, uh, I got hooked really, really young. And then uh, when I graduated from, from university, I went to work for Salomon Smith Barney, which had previously been known as Salomon Brothers. And I worked for them for about five years. It's now called Citigroup. Citigroup bought that company. And I worked in the bond trading department, and I basically helped a a bond trading desk. I worked with the traders to calculate how much money they made on a daily basis to help them get their risks organized, uh, to understand their portfolios. A lot of these traders had thousands of positions at any one time, and so I did that for a few years, and I d- didn't really like that job. I didn't like being part of a, a humongous organization. I felt like a small cog in a big machine, and most of all, I, I wasn't really just doing what I was passionate about, which was investing, and so I figured that I, I stumbled into the newsletter industry as a reader, 
and I would read newsletters all day, uh, looking over the sh- my shoulder and making sure my bosses didn't didn't know what I was up to. And uh, and I thought, you yeah, know, this is something I would really like to do. It seems great to 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 get to research investments all day and write about them. And basically, I felt like I had something to offer, and I could help people. And that sounded like a good thing to do too, and so I ended up getting into the newsletter industry. So how how did that transition happen? Did you just simply call up the newsletter and say, "Hey, I want a want a job." Tell us a little bit about how you transitioned into that. Yeah, it's, it's actually kind of a long story, and uh, cut me off if, <laughs> if it goes on too long. Okay. But um, basically. I started, I just emailed, I, I read one particular newsletter called The Daily Reckoning, which if, if you guys have never heard of The Daily Reckoning, it's something I highly recommend. Bill Bonner, who writes it, is, in my opinion, the absolute best writer in America today, and I include all the novelists and journalists and everyone out there, not just in the newsletter industry, in America today. He is a fantastic writer. He's funny, he is very clear, and he has a really good grasp of of what's going on in America right now. And uh, he, he's, uh, you know, I've, I've actually copied his essays by hand on many occasions to try and, you know, to try and somehow internalize some of his mojo into my own writing. But anyway, so uh, I read The Daily Reckoning and I loved it. And so I started emailing with the managing editor and I basically told them that I didn't like my job and I'd be willing to work for free if, uh, if they would just hire me. And, um, and nothing really came of it for a few months and so I ended up quitting my job at Citigroup anyway and I went on a crazy adventure all around America kind of living like a hobo jumping on freight trains and sneaking across the border and swimming the Rio Grande and I had a really good time and then I was in Alabama when the guys at the Daily Reckoning got back in touch with me and he said hey I've really been enjoying your your travel emails and stuff uh we've made a few changes why don't you come and, and work for the daily reckoning as the managing editor so i was like well absolutely i've got nothing better going on so <laughs> that's how i started i ended up being the managing editor of the daily reckoning and, and they did pay me i might add too which is so what so what you're nice. saying is that if you're able to swim the rio grande you be, you can become a managing editor of a pretty big newsletter right you know um, it, it's <laughs> funny uh, the newsletter industry requires um obviously an understanding of finance but it also requires you to be able to tell stories and and write and those two skills are very rare it's it's not many finance people have interest in storytelling and and writing and being creative and the creative types don't generally have any interest in the finance so it's, it's kind of a rare intersection that i that i found myself at and um yeah, so, uh, you know, well, yeah. I know you're joking, but no, actually, <laughs> it's true. There, there was something there that um, that they, they liked, and they were willing to give me a go. Well, Bill, Bill Bonner, he's, he's an amazing, amazing speaker. He's an amazing writer, but when he speaks, it's it's incredible how much he, he draws you into the content of, of what he's talking about. Um, but looking looking at what he's done and, and building the network that he has, it's a massive, you know, the Agora Financial Network is a massive, massive network. Look, looking at the looking at the newsletter industry, and given the you know the increase in, in technology and the prog- you know progress we've made over the last several years, how do you how do you think the newsletter industry is being impacted by that, and what type of influence do you think they have now? Let's say relative to you know ten years ago. 
there's a lot of there's a lot of answers to that question. There's a lot of different facets to that. Uh, the most important, probably the most important answer is the internet. So, so let me explain. Bill Bonner, I, I just introduced him by saying that he's a fantastic writer, and that's all true. But in his in his other life, he's also the head of one of the largest publishing companies in the world. He's the, he's not the CEO. He's the founder and the head of it of Agora, and Agora publishes hundreds of newsletters on all different subjects, and it's it's a very large company with offices all around the world. And, and Bill is the head of that. So not only is he a great writer about finance and investing, but he, in his in his other life, you know, it's like in the mornings he writes, and in the afternoons he runs this giant publishing company, and. Um, the the funny thing is when when the internet came along agora was founded in the 70s but when the internet came along bill thought that it was going to kill agora thought it, it was going to destroy us because agora up until the internet delivered its newsletters and its marketing through the mail through snail mail and then the internet came along and so it was like a huge threat now as it turned out agora got five or ten times bigger very quickly thanks to the internet and the reason is because we can now you can now instead of paying 50 cents to communicate to your readers you can communicate to them for free using email and that that's a huge breakthrough so it allows you to communicate a lot more often with with your readers and generate and build a much closer more personal relationship by emailing more often so that that's that was one the technology technology side made a big difference to the newsletter industry i think the the other huge one is investors have have lost confidence in the traditional financial advisors brokers investment bankers, investment banking research. There's just been a series of scandals, whether it was the dot-com analysts pumping up stocks that privately they were calling uh, junk. It was Enron. It, it was Bubble. It was just a lot of fraud, and people just don't trust Wall Street in general as much as they used to. Now, it hasn't completely disappeared, but the trust is going, and that opens up a huge door for, for the newsletter industry where we pride ourselves on being independent analysts. We live or die by the quality of our research. If we write, if we, if we don't do a good job with our research, our readers will fire us and they won't renew their subscription. So we, we have to we have to do the best we can by our reader, and that's our only objective. And that's the way, um, and I think that's the way it should be. I mean, if you look at, and I would, yeah, yeah, I would, I would argue too that I mean, even you, if somebody doesn't necessarily consider themselves an investor, I think that just fa- families in general. Um, have trended toward figuring out what their money is is doing and and become investors and become intrigued with the different facets of the economy and how to best make make a decision. And I think that you know the education that you provide gives that objectivity so that someone can listen to it and make a trade. And if that trade is wrong, then like you said, they they fire you. It's absolutely true. It's it's. There's no conflict of interest in the relationship between the reader and us, who we are the reader's advisor. You know, and you always, 
the the uh, the most important quality in any advisor is honesty and forthrightfulness, just being upfront. So, so that's great. Now, the newsletter industry isn't perfect. There's a lot of, you know, there are bad operators. There are unscrupulous people, as there are in any industry. And um, there's a right way and a wrong way to news to use a newsletter, and we can talk about that if you like. But yes, that that's a huge factor. Is that Wall Street has just shot itself in the foot over and over again, and Readers now are appreciating, valuing more the quality of independent research, and so that's played into the newsletter business uh, hands as well. So now, so you you obviously were with with the Daily Reckoning, and you had, you had managed some of their some of their big uh, big newsletters. Um, now now you are now you're running your own your own newsletter. So tell us tell us how you made the transition from from the Daily Reckoning to the Palm Beach Letter, and, and give us an idea of what the Palm Beach Letter is. Right. So, well, the Daily Reckoning, um, I was the managing editor there, and that's where I kind of really learned to write, and I learned, uh, I got my first uh, understanding of how the publishing industry worked, and that was that was about nine years ago now. And then um, after that, I moved to, within Agora, I took a new job as a newsletter editor. So actually, I got my own newsletter to write. And uh, for five or six years, I was the editor of a newsletter called The 12% Letter. And it was very successful. The 12% Letter, as I was the editor, went from uh, 15 or 20,000 subscribers. And now I think it has 100,000, something like that. Oh, so wow. it, um, it was a very successful newsletter. And, and I don't take... Uh, I take a little bit, a tiny bit of the credit, but really the most credit goes towards the fact that um, income investing, the 12% letter is all about income investing, is an extremely popular niche area of the market and has been for the last few years. So, you know, I was in the right place at the right time, I guess you could say. And, um, you know, people are retiring. Uh, interest rates are at zero. Those those two factors mainly just mean income is a very popular hot topic, and so so the twelve percent letter had had a lot of traction there. And then um, uh, about a year ago, my boss Porter Stansberry tapped me on the shoulder and he invited me to play golf and suggested that I start a new business um, called Palm Beach Letter, and so. Uh, Mark Ford is, is is my partner in this venture. Uh, he's he's actually Porter. Mark is Porter's mentor. So Mark is another figure in the publishing industry. He's been around a long time. Anyway, so Mark and I—I uh, I don't mean to conf- be confusing. Mark and I are now partners in this new newsletter called the Palm Beach Letter. Mark Ford is a very successful, wealthy entrepreneur, self-made multimillionaire, and a fantastic writer. He's had several New York Times bestsellers, and he's just an all-round solid, excellent, achieving guy. And so Mark is like my preeminent writer. He he writes a a lot of... um, uh, our essays on wealth building and how to get so so let me tell you about the palm beach letter we have two basic services on one hand we have an investment service and by the way you get both of these as a subscriber to the palm beach letter it's, it's one newsletter but there's like two secret newsletters within it and on one hand it's the investing stuff where every month we we we, we talk about investments we find stocks and bonds and and we help our readers invest their money and on the other hand you have mark and he writes 
about wealth building. He t- he writes the secrets to getting richer. You know, one of our one of our goals is that our subscriber, when their subscription comes up at the end of 12 months, they can look at their, their net worth statement and it'll be bigger than the year before. So to actually, rather than just focusing on investing, which is, you know, it's an important thing, we have a bigger goal, and that is that our readers actually get richer year after year after year. And so Mark is kind of in charge. He's the guy with the experience. He's uh, in his 60s. He's been there and done that. He's seen all the scams and frauds out there, and he's he's got richer every year. And so that's his job. He he's kind of like a, a sort of preeminent, uh, the godfather of our business. He he shows us how to get wealthier every year, and and then, and then Paul and I. We, we pick the investments, and that's the thing is obviously a, a financial plan or build, building wealth is not just about not just about investing. That's a big part of it, but at the same time, money money management, understanding tax strategies is also very important. So I've read most, if not all, of of Mark's uh, uh, Mark's contributions, and it, it's incredible because he uses a very wide spectrum of of strategy and has incredible insight. And I think that his his experience, obviously being at his at his age, is able to look back and see what's worked for families, see. What has it, and, that, and that's the thing: is one strategy, you know, 30, 40 years ago is, is not going to work necessarily today. Now, there might be some um, portions of that that may work, but he he's able to look at kind of where where the economy is going and how things are progressing and changing in our in our society. And the newsletters he has is is, is incredible, and I and I'm very, you know, I. I I got to meet him, and he's just a very, very. You can tell that he, he's very intelligent. And the way that he writes, it's it's so so simple to understand. It's not complicated. He doesn't use a lot of big words or anything like that. He's able to convey the message very easily. Right. We're not trying to uh, you know compete with financial advisors out there and stuff. We're just trying to write simple, common sense wisdom. And Mark, you're absolutely right about Mark. The funny thing is, uh, Mark, in his writing, he says there's five ways to build wealth. And invest of those five, investing is one of them. Investing is the least important. So it's it's interesting, you know. We have this whole theory. We call it the the, the golden buckets. That there are there are three buckets that everybody should have with their wealth. And bucket number one is where you put the money that you need to cover your daily expenses. Bucket number two is where you put the money that you need to cover your future expenses, like maybe college tuition for your kids or um, retirement. Those big big kind of item but it's like your future expenses and bucket number three is where you put investing and so until you've taken care of your current expenses and your future expenses you really shouldn't even be worrying about investing i truly believe that 90 percent of americans shouldn't have anything to do with the stock market they shouldn't be buying stocks they shouldn't have brokerage accounts and and then the remaining 10%, half of them, maybe even 75% of them, should probably just have their money in in sort of passive stock market investments. And then the rest should maybe be like actively putting money in stocks. And so one of the big attractions of infinite banking to me, Patrick, is that that to me acts like the the second bucket it's the it's the bucket where you put your savings for future expenses and that's the rule of the second bucket is you must put your money in a way that there is absolutely zero chance of, of it going down yep. of you losing it 
you know, the investment bucket, you 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 take a little bit more risk, but because you've got a long-term horizon, you know, you're probably gonna, not going to lose there either, but on a year-to-year basis, it might be more volatile. But the investing bucket is really where you put your money, where you're trying to grow it. Whereas the the, the savings and the expenses buckets, you're not trying to grow your money there. You're trying to preserve it to cover expenses that you know you're going to have to have to meet either, you know, next week or next year or whatever. So that, that to me, is why infinite banking is so interesting and because it's, it's really a, a great way of, of taking care of that second bucket, that savings bucket. So would you, would you say then, you know, looking, looking at the Palm Beach letter and what, what the objective is, it's not to necessarily pinpoint one facet of the economy or one facet of investing, but it's, it's really to provide uh, education in a comprehensive manner as far as how to, how to manage money and how to, how to build wealth. I know that we've kind of touched on different parts, but you know, looking at what the overall objective is, how, how would you maybe describe that? It's so that when you look at your, your net worth in 12 months' time, that net worth is bigger than it is today. That, that is our objective, to get to make you wealthier. And a lot of newsletters, they make these huge claims about all this and that and how much income you can make and how much big your returns and how you can get rich. You know, that's, that's, that's great. You know, I don't have a problem with any of that as long as the, the editors are fulfilling their promises and their, and their, they're doing the right thing by their readers, but we have a bigger goal, and that's to make to to get you getting a little bit wealthier every year in a realistic, practical manner. We're not like shooting for the sky; we're just trying to do get the basics right, awesome. so that at the end, in twelve months' time, you have more money than you do today. That is our goal. Now, looking, I mean, obviously, you, you and your and your staff, you're you're looking at the economy every day. I mean, you're you're reading newslines, you're reading the different websites, Wall Street Journal, Smart Money. I mean, all all the different you know newsletters that are out there. What have you seen? Have you seen maybe a change in direction of, of our of our society wanting to know more about uh, about what's going on? Why why 2008 happened? How how to avoid that that pitfall in the future? Because it seems like you know we we have amnesia because a, a lot of similar things in the early 2000s uh, are are you know were caused in 2008 as well, just a different different industry. Instead of being the dot com, it, it was you know more the more the housing industry. How how have you seen people and their their desire to be, become more educated, and how you how do you think that's going to um, play into the overall state of the economy, and how we're going to get out of this mess if we're going to get out of this mess? Well, it's that's a long question, and there's many different parts to it. But basically, it's to me, it's very simple. It's this whole mess is caused by the government by the, the manipulation of interest rates and the manipulation of taxes and promises that politicians make short-term to win elections, that long-term, that, that's the whole, the whole crux of it comes down to the way our economy is, ma- is managed and planned and not left to the free market. But um, as to the 2008 thing, it's all about incentives. You know, you, you're giving incentives for people to, to make short-term decisions or to take risks or to act fraudulently, and that's what they're going to do. And that's what they did in 2008. It's what happened in, in all the previous bubbles to do with inflation and et cetera. These are, these are, these, you know, there, there are entire books and libraries on this subject. But my belief is that the problem 
2008 was a symptom of other problems. It was a reaction to other causes. And the stuff that's happened since 2008 has not addressed any of those causes. So I expect similar symptoms to happen again in the future. Now, when I look out of my window, when I go to the mall, everything looks pretty rosy to me. I mean, there's the, the malls are packed. It's hard to find parking spots. The restaurants, are, you know, I don't see any real change on the ground of people changing their behavior. And I know if you read in the newspaper, you know, there's a lot of stories about unemployment. Unemployment is very high, and there's, you know, there's business entrepreneurs are, are having difficulties, and you know, it's it's really hard. I I don't know where we are right now. It seems to me, on one hand, there's, you know. Everything, everyone's doing fine, and they're spending again and using credit cards just like they were. But then you read these news stories. But I do think that we're not out of the woods yet. This may be a temporary bounce; it may go longer. We may be in a slump, but they haven't addressed any of the issues that caused 2008, i.e., too much borrowing and too much spending and too many ridiculous government policies that are designed to redistribute wealth in a way that's not beneficial for the overall health of the economy. All that kind of stuff. None of that's been addressed. In fact, you could say that that the policies they've done since 2008 are the exact opposite of what needed to happen. And so, uh, I mean, I really see there's a problem with the government that has too much debt. People have too much debt. Companies right now have tons of cash. They don't have, you know, they still have plenty of debt too. But so, when it comes to the stock market, <laughs> that's a very. I, I, I'm. I really don't know where the stock market's going to go. You know, in a year or two years' time. But I do think it's going to be volatile. I think it's going to go. One thing I think you can bet on is it's going to go up and down a lot. And uh, there's not a solid, there's not a solid sort of rudder there to to really drive another bull market. But then I don't know if there's going to be a bear market either. I mean, it's just so companies have so much cash and and they just keep injecting more cash. You know, sometimes like when you look at yeah, pop. sometimes you look at just just the statistics and and what's going on and you know what, whether it's it's uh, it's it's Europe. And I saw some headlines this morning as far as the, the Greece talks and <clears throat> the money that they were given and, and being accountable for that. I mean, there's there's a lot of issues out there. And I think you hit the nail on the head. And, and looking at whether it's the Agora Net- Network or the Daily Reckoning, or you look at you know other institutions like the Mises Institute or Foundation for Economic Aid, the Heritage Foundation, the Cato Institute. I mean, you have a lot of groups out there that are saying the same thing. And it's it's funny that you know you you have this whole group of economists and intellectuals that are basically saying, listen, here, here's the problem, and what you're doing is fighting fire with fire. And looking at just the, I don't know if it's pride or I don't know if it's ignorance, but the, the lawmakers continue to try to do the, the, the thing that got us into the mess. And, but what I think is, what I think is interesting, um, look, looking at how you, you know, how your network through the internet, I mean, you, you probably have subscribers that are international and looking at our podcast. I mean, we have, we have people that are listening from, from China and Australia and Japan, and it's incredible how you're able to convey information out there. My point is, um, there was a, there was a, an article I read, uh, a couple of months ago by Gary North who is really, really interesting, really interesting guy. <clears throat> but he basically said that 
looking at some of the uh, the things that, and, and I'm not you know touting Ron Paul at all, but he said that Ron Paul has potentially saved us from hyperinflation. And the reason being is because it's not because he's going to become president, but because he's brought certain things to the forefront forefront that have really have intrigued people to learn more about economics, learn more about the Federal Reserve, learn more about government intervention. Because what the government is trying to do is manipulate a market to do specific things that the market isn't demanding. And and that's what you know individuals don't realize is that what the Federal Reserve is doing is is just it, it's not it, it's never worked. Ever. Now, obviously, we saw unemployment, you know, last week go down by a pretty significant amount. But that's that's manipulation. You saw, you know, the bailout of, of GE and, you know, or not GE, but GM and GM. I mean, all of a sudden gotten got better. They paid back their loans and now they're now they're safe. But at the same time, it's just a it's basically robbing the taxpayer and forcing them to pay taxes in order to bail out an institution that should have that should have potentially failed. And the immorality of the system, I, I think, is 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 there. And I know that there's lots of schools and lots of institutes that have, you know, written books on this, and, and it's, you know, these types of theories have existed for decades. But now it's being more, it's brought to the forefront as to what the problem is, and I think that that awareness hopefully will lead to change, and hopefully it's not not too late. Because as you were saying, I mean, right now it's. It's uh, it's 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 pretty scary looking at what's going on in Greece. Looking at our our uh, our deficit continue to increase, you know, being over fifteen trillion dollars now. I mean, the statistics are are scary. But I think that what kind of gives me hope to to an extent, uh, it, it's not much, but it's it's at least you know the younger generations and uh, you know maybe even older generations wanting to learn more about what to do with their money, learning more about how to be wise stewards over the money they've earned, and also to be more knowledgeable as to what the economy is, how it's supposed to run, and how to you know hold our, our politicians, our representatives accountable to executing the right policy as, to, as opposed to the policies that have you know bastardized our, our economy, part of my language. So I mean you're looking at what you're doing, what daily reckoning is doing, what the different newsletters out there, I think that the message is even is more profound where you're you're educating a population that needs to understand finance, needs to understand proper money management so that we can you know, get ourselves out of this rut. Because if that doesn't happen, I mean, there's there's really no hope. Would you would you agree with that? To other people, and I think the newsletter industry helps empower people to do that. So it's it's like a tool, and it's only a tool. And I'm not saying that you should blindly follow advice from a newsletter writer either, or that you should. Um, you know, buy hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of subscriptions or anything like that. Just consider the newsletter a tool to help you take responsibility away from Wall Street and your financial advisor and your broker and whoever else has responsibility for your money and bring that responsibility to you where you can manage it for yourself and do the right thing. And it's not that hard. Whatever they tell you about finance, it's not that complicated if it's explained properly. It's really pretty simple. Well, Tom, I mean, it's it was it's a pleasure to have you on, and I'm I'm grateful for the content that you put out there and the message that your message that you're bringing. And I think that you know li- listeners and uh, of this show would be 
you know, would be uh, would would benefit from learning that content. And it's a very very inexpensive uh, in, investment, and it's a year investment. But if you want to learn more about the Palm Beach Letter, Tom, what's what's uh, what are some of the things that they could do to learn more about the letter and also to potentially subscribe? Yeah, it's. Um it's ninety nine dollars a year, although we're selling it for forty nine right now. It's on sale, and all you have to do is go to www.palmbeachletter.com, and uh, I think right there on the homepage is uh, it says click here for more information or something like that, and um, and then uh, there's, there's an order form in there. So yeah, it's a free trial. If you don't like it, we'll give you your money back, uh, no questions asked, and. Uh, we we are very responsive to our customers. If if you have issues, and we 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 publish uh, feedback, good and bad, and you know we publish our track record, and uh, we we just try to do absolutely right where we can for our for our readers. Well, Tom, again, we we appreciate you being on today, and we will include some of the links that you just mentioned in the in the body of the blog, and also the body of the podcast. So, thanks for being with us this month. We have a great uh, great lineup of of individuals to be interviewed uh, this coming year. So, stay tuned to our future podcasts. Also, go back to 2011 and 2010 and 2009, and, and look at our our podcast uh, archives. We're appreciative of you listening today. Thank you again so much, Tom. It was uh, it was a pleasure to have you on. Thanks. Thanks to you too, Patrick. Pleasure to be here. Okay, everybody. We'll talk to you next month.